Hey, it's Kim from the Conscious Kitchen podcast, where we mix healing and vulnerability into a spicy soup of nail-biting conversations. Join me this season because we're healing no matter what the fuck happens. Well, hello, hello, Isaiah. I am just to everyone listening right now. I am a huge admirer of Isaiah's work, and we've been connected like offline for a minute now. So just being able to interview you for this podcast is kind of like a full circle moment for me. Um, so yeah, thank you so, so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me too. And I'm so in awe of your work too, what you do with mental health and practicing and talking about culture and values and what that means. Oh my goodness. Well, I, you know, likewise. And the reason why I am so, so excited to have this conversation is you know, you know, you do such tremendous work, you know, as a climate justice activist, as someone who is building communities, building sustainable communities. And I wanted to just, you know, pick your brain a little bit about how that can intersect with, you know, healing and mental health. Like, what is that intersection looking like? So, um, you know, I wanted to just first and foremost ask, you know, as, you know, a content creator, environmentalist, activist, someone who is really building sustainable futures for all of us, right? What does your aftercare look like whenever you feel maybe anxious, whenever it kind of gets overwhelming? What does what does that aftercare look like? I love this because I think it's kind of like post-op care. So after you've been operated from working in an exploitative system, you go back and you're like, all right, time to heal. And, you know, I, I would say that, you know, back then it's like, oh, Netflix and, you know, all these shows and, you know, eating your your desired food. But I've been really practicing more concepts around mindfulness. Obviously, that stems a bit from Buddhism, religion. But I, I think on my end, you know, the aftercare practices actually look going into walks without taking my cell phone and just walking slowly, hearing the noises. I really feel like on my end, like, you know, I let the melodies of the birds become part of my bone structure to really understand like that rhythm of what I'm trying to really navigate the world. And I think I really practice slow eating. I I recognize that I was always scarfing down my food really quickly because I was just like, I have to make it to the next meeting. And I said, no, I need to really slow down, just enjoy the meal, absorb the nutrients and the minerals that were given in this food and honor that. And I think um, those those types of cares really required me to really reflect back to say, how did I have my life together pre-social media? And a lot of it was just looking into the fact that rest, right? Like the reason why a lot of us are, have a lot of chronic illnesses or other related um, health issues is inflammatory responses. And I felt like I wasn't even sleeping right. And so now my new bedtime is 10, 10 p.m. And I wake up at 6.30 and 7 a.m. And I'm like, wow, I feel like an old grandpa. But I also feel very happy to be up this early. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And, you know, I'm going to take your lead. Sometimes my bedtime thing is not like I don't have the best bedtime right now. I sleep at like 1 a.m. sometimes, admittedly. <laughs> but um, I love everything you said. And I wanted to just say, you know, when I look at, um, I follow you and a bunch of other climate activists, and I feel so inspired and empowered. Um, but there are some times, like as of today, as we're recording, there is a huge, just like, um, I don't know the right words for it, but it's, it's, there's like dusk cloud covering all of New York City, all of like the East Coast almost. Um, 
And moments like that where I, you know, talk to my parents who are in New York City, they're immigrants who don't speak English, they don't have access to resources, um, makes me kind of like sad and like, you know, a little bit of hopelessness there. Um, And I wanted to ask you, is that something you come across with in your work? And if so, how do you how do you operate or um, yeah, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think what's happening right now from the Canada wildfires seeping into the East Coast, I mean, that happened to us right in the West Coast when it was, you know, Portland, Seattle was on fire. And it's kind of like it mirrored, right? It just flipped on the other end three years later. I think, you know, one of the biggest things I always tell people is validating and listening to the emotions of people is so essential. And I think recognizing that this climate crisis that we're in today is not a belief structure. I never ask people, do you believe in climate change? Because that makes it seem like it's an ideology, a religious thing, or a higher entity level being that exists, which it's really not. It's a science-based incidence that was due to colonization and white supremacy. And so I think for the general person, right, or immigrants of color who are just like, I just need to work and I can't work if I can't breathe, Um, is showcasing that to all of us, like we are not safe anywhere we go. And I I think a lot of adults right now, you know, they're taking pictures and they're like, you know, it's not right that it's like this, but we are allowing it in terms of the global North system of how it's focused on very over-consumerist lifestyles that uphold these unsustainable futures is that we are not going to be protected. The only ones who will be protected during the climate crisis are the elite and the rich who will be able to buy themselves more time, which means that for us, the collective people who are in the resistance of these movements, we must overhaul that system and to uproot those oppressors and those oppressive systems. And sometimes that looks for immigrants of color of ensuring that their safety, that they have resources and that they have stability economics because they're just trying to survive to pay rent. Mm, So, so good. And I, you know, when you mentioned that, I wanted to add this because this is something that came across to me in my own, like, you know, decolonizing and climate, you know, learning more about um, climate justice journey, which is like, there is this notion that I've heard, which is like, humans are above it. Like, the earth will be fine. Like, you know, as humans, like, we just have to look up, we're, we're going to die and the earth will be fine. But the more I've learned about climate justice, it really isn't about us. You know, we are yeah. as equal as the trees. We are as equal as the birds in the sky. And unfortunately, like, we are the ones who have, you know, we're the ones who create climate you know, um, I don't know the wording, but like, um, we are the ones who have like the power to, you know, help and heal and also destroy. And when I say us, really the elites and those who are in power. Um, and it's, it's this thing. Cause I, I wanted this podcast episode to like be the intersection of spirituality and like, and climate justice. But I hear this a lot in the spirituality world, like, oh, the earth will be fine. Like as humans, we're going to die anyway. And you know, the earth will heal, but it's like, that's such a, that's such like, um, putting humans above everything concept that I, I just don't vibe with. Yes. Yeah. How does that feel for you? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think like we have to collapse this human supremacist framework that is constantly being put outward and be very logical and serious and be like, black people did not cause this. Indigenous communities did not cause this. Our people 
did not cause this. If anything, we need to name it for what it is, is white supremacist capitalist type of methodologies that were implemented and are still implemented today that are hurting the planet. And I think for a lot of us, yes, it is a fact that like, obviously nature is a regenerative system and just like as we can be too, if we are resilient, but to really discard the continued movements and the resistance of indigenous communities have always said when climate disasters strike, not only are human and animals' lives are lost, but it causes spiritual imbalances in ecosystems, which is why we cannot really divorce the idea that biodiversity and spiritual diversity are apart. Um, they're actually together. And so I, I really try to tell people that if you're going to say humans are going to die anyways, I would say, please take your fatalistic approach in the ways that you're seeing it and actually care for people because the basis of spirituality in some philosophies and the different religions is to care for a living system and species. So already at the fact that they're saying we're doomed, yet they're practicing Reiki and trying to heal um, humans of this, what they're saying, how does that go with the belief structure of our larger climate crisis that we have today? So collapsing human supremacy is important. Oh, this is so good. And I totally, totally agree. And it's this, it's this, um, oh my gosh, the word is coming to me. It's like this, I don't, you know, I see this a lot in like the spirituality space. I'm, let me, let me reframe that. I see this a lot in the social media bubblegum spirituality space where it's like, oh, if I can just manifest and think my way out of it, then like it doesn't affect <laughs> me. Um, and it's like, that's such a privileged way of looking at things because most likely yes. the people who are suffering don't have that access to just like live, laugh, love, right? And just like not think about these things. Um, and I feel like these are things that need to be talked about more. And the people who are, you know, you know, seeing who have been talking about this for years and centuries are people of color and indigenous folks. Um, and I yes. also wanted to ask you like, what does the intersection of like healing and, you know, your work with climate justice, what does that intersection look and feel like to you? Yeah, I think, you know, in my younger days, it was actually interesting. I remember like feeling a loss of sense of home because I grew up in a very toxic Catholicism home with parents that did not really approve of I, my identity. And I think, you know, as I got older, I always, you know, I sometimes regret saying this, but I always said to my parents, like, I can't wait until I travel the world for the rest of my life and never see you all. And it did hurt me back. Like, it did hurt me and it came back to me because now I travel a lot and my family's like, where are you? And I'm like, I honestly, you know, careful with what you say, but I think for me, I remember recognizing that I felt when I was younger in my early queer years is that I felt like there I had a lost sense of home. I didn't know what home looked like to me. And I looked at home within other people. I looked at it within other destinations of thinking that that would really fill my heart up. And it really made me feel empty. And so in the work I do as a climate educator, I really thought, you know, writing and education and co-creating events has been one of the best practices for me to ensure my mental and ecological stability of my mindset. Because the more that you recognize that, you know, a lot of us are probably not going to be the frontline activists. Some of us are 
hope keepers. Some of us are healers. I'm don't, I don't think I'm a healer per se. I think I'm more of a hope keeper where people can rely to come back to me when they're burnt out and we can talk and I can, you know, cheer them up and then they can go towards their healing journey and what they need to do. But I, I do think, you know, the, the ways in which my work has been brought up is that I'm now the embodiment of that life. So every time I take a step, every time I breathe, every time I smell, every time I lick or eat something, I am home. And I think that's something that I didn't really um, recognize up until like my mid 20s where I was like, wow, like I've never really been alone. And I thought I've been alone this whole time because feeling alone versus lonely can sometimes be different for people. And so I, I always recognize like I'm not lonely, but I know I'm alone. But then like doing this work, can feel isolating when you when you brutalize yourself to be in spaces where you think you're going to grow. And sometimes that's toxic for people. And I had to learn that the hard way is that I didn't need to move to New York to become this career that I am doing. And I hurt myself during that process, but I also learned. And now I tell people, it's up to you if you move or not. You can always evolve and grow wherever you're at as long as you know where you're at in life. Thank you for tuning in to the Conscious Kitchen podcast so far, and we have a special offer for you. So it's time to tune in. I want you to take a second and be mindful about how you feel right this very moment. Take a deep breath. What's top of mind? If you're feeling stressed or anxious, I want you to keep listening so I can keep telling you about Calm. Calm helps you stress less. Here at the Conscious Kitchen Podcast, we want to make sure you're getting the best, best sleep and live a happier and healthier life. On Calm, their guided meditations, sleep stories, and relaxing music tracks and daily movement sessions are all designed to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm. Even if you never meditate before, you'll get the support you need to reduce your stress, improve focus, and uplift your mood. If you go to calm.com forward slash CK podcast, you'll get a special offer for 40% off the Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. So relax. Calm's got everything you need for a happier and healthier you. Oh, oh my goodness. That's so, so good. And going off of that, um, I I highly, highly relate because it's like there's this quote, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like home is literally where you are, like where you are yes. is that's home. Right. And it's kind of beautiful talking into like, um, you know, if I always like to say this to people, like if we were to take our bodies and like just like look at ourselves from a bird's eye view like look down at who we are. It's like we are seeing ourselves. We're seeing the world around us. We're seeing the people around us. And like, that's home, right? And sometimes it could be difficult to see that, especially as like, you know, people who do what you do and people like myself, where we don't work in, we don't work in corporate. We don't work with other people like that often compared to people who might work nine to fives. And it's this like, it's like, it's so interesting because in my work, I advocate for community so much, but like most of the time, like I'm alone. I'm like in my apartment, just like taking meetings and like figuring it out. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, when you mentioned home is wherever you are, it's like, yeah, like I'm, 
not lonely. I'm alone. But sometimes I am lonely. And that's when we see community. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that landed. <laughs> No, but, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, like, I, I, I think it's, it's so true. It's like, I can feel both loveless and loveful at the same mm, time. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't believe that we as humans live within one binary emotion. Like, I mm-hmm. can be sad and angry. I can be happy and sad at the same time. And I think the idea of like, well, you only have to show one case. Like, I think a lot of us exterior emotions, we always have to put ourselves in the best spirit because people will, of course, judge us. But ex- in the interior side, we can be suffering too at the same time. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for tuning in to the Conscious Kitchen podcast so far. And we have a special offer for you. So it's time to tune in. I want you to take a second and be mindful about how you feel right this very moment. Take a deep breath. <sighs> What's top of mind? If you're feeling stressed or anxious, I want you to keep listening so I can keep telling you about Calm. Calm helps you stress less. Here at the Conscious Kitchen Podcast, we want to make sure you're getting the best, best sleep and live a happier and healthier life. On Calm, their guided meditations, sleep stories, and relaxing music tracks and daily movement sessions are all designed to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm. Even if you never meditate before, you'll get the support you need to reduce your stress, improve focus, and uplift your mood. If you go to calm.com forward slash CK podcast, you'll get a special offer for 40% off the Calm premium subscription. And new content is added every week. So relax. Calm's got everything you need for a happier and healthier you. And... You know, I wanted to also ask, I'm sure you get this asked often, um, but yeah, I mean, especially like, you know, now that you know what you know on your own journey, right? What would you tell someone who is experiencing a lot of like ego anxiety or just like a lot of big emotions when it comes to hopelessness, especially in the climate that we're in? What would you what would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, you should never feel loveless on a land that was meant to love because that is so true. I I think like growing up, I always felt incomplete in different parts of emotions and recognizing obviously that came from like the way I was raised, the way that I looked up to people, the people I dated in my life. And I, I think for people who experience such severe ego anxiety where they feel like they can't sleep because they imagine the, the future of the world dying, I say that your emotions are valid. First of all, you're not insane. You're not a evil person. I don't think you're privileged in the sense for thinking that much because you recognize that when biodiversity dies, humans die and animals die with it. So I I think that what I tell people is that, have you tried to talk to the land more? And that is something that I feel like I started to recognize that how is it that a lot of us here in the global North in America were learned how to identify brands and logos? Like I could show you a check mark and you'll be like, that's Nike. But I show you a plan. You're like, I don't know what that is. And it's like, it's not our fault either because we've been ingrained to know about brands. But like that is ecological wealth. And to me, reconnecting to ecological wealth is to identify animals, fungi, um, the fauna, the flora, like being able to interact with those species and talking to them because 
the biggest advice my friend gave me once when I was going through a really hard time, like it was almost two years ago. She said, Isaiah, you need to go to the land and tell them, tell the land what happened to you. And I was like, I, I guess, I mean, I have my therapist and I have my best friends. They're there for me. But I was like, let me just try doing it with the land. And I told the land what I was going through. And I remember like, you know, it's such a very spiritual experience. There was then a, a hawk that started circling that small lake where I was. Wow. And as I looked up, that hawk parked itself on the bark of the tree. And it was winter time during New Jersey. And it looked at me and then it started to slowly ascend. And I was just like, wow. Oh, I, I understand now what you're trying to tell me that you must keep going. You must, even though it hurts, you are allowed to sit there and rest and you must continue once you feel ready to get up. And I was just like, wow, I think I learned more within 30 minutes of that session versus my therapist at that time. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And thank you so much for sharing that because, oh, that was so good. Um it's so, so true. And I love what you said, talking to the land, um, because, okay, so I'll just share my personal story to go off of what you mentioned. Um, I, I I say this to everyone I meet because it's true. Like, I am not that educated when it comes to, like, climate justice compared to, like, people like you. Like, I learn from people like you. Um, like, and whenever I feel a lot of ego anxiety, like right now with what's happening in New York, um, first of all, echoing what you said, you know, our feelings are valid. Um, but second of all, I've learned that like, you know, my ego journey, my journey of really like learning about the land might not look the same as like someone else's and that's okay in the sense of like, so something I've always done is like I would put my bare feet on the earth whenever I'd feel stressed. Like I just like go out and I just like put my feet on the earth. Something I started doing and this is TMI, um, but it's like it's something that indigenous women have done for years. Whenever I'm bleeding, I take my blood and I actually water my plants with my blood and I like put it on the trees. Yeah. And I like whenever I'm feeling emotional. um, I can go to a therapist, but I've found recently that when I'm sitting by the ocean or sitting by just trees in the park, I'm like bawling my eyes out and like touching a tree. Um, and I'm like, yeah, like, damn, I'm not that educated when it comes to the lingo and the language. Um, and I'm like, it, it makes me scared to talk about the environment because I don't know that much. But like, yeah. yeah, but when it comes to like the practice, I take from like, my parents and my ancestors and it can look like that way um yeah, yeah. interesting you embody your ancestors and i think so obviously philippines has such a deep indigenous culture uh, um in you know and those areas like in the practices that your parents have probably um given to you that were given to them as children and i feel that you know like you were saying that you know you are talking to a living system like it's 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 not non-living. And so mm. the idea that, you know, and it, you kind of use this example. It's like, why is it that when we were kids, we love to go to the park, touch the grass, touch the soil, touch the trees. But as adults, we're like, oh, that's not cool. We should go to a movie or we should go to the mall and buy. And then we feel empty inside. It's like maybe like the what we're really missing is connection. Mm. Oh, that's so good. And I wanted to go off of that and ask you, um, 
you know, and this is like the POV of doing the work that you do being a content creator, right? Working with brands, right? You, you did a YouTube video about this that I loved. And so what does that like, what does that synergy look like, right? Advocating against capital capitalism and then like using it, right? Because I, I, I had the same exact view that you did, but I wanted like us to discuss it for people who haven't seen your YouTube video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the controversy was the fact that if influencers that work in the intersections of social, racial and environmental justice or women's rights, human's rights, why are they teaming up with corporations that have links to exploitative institutions or practices or um, slave labor or <laughs> environmentally degraded um, extractions? And I think the biggest issue is the fact that if you talk to any digital media creator in this space, they will probably tell you that 50% of their income does come from ad placement. And, you know, this year has been very unique for me because I was talking to my management and I was a bit disappointed that the ads this year have not been coming in. They've been very lackluster. Um, The thing that has been holding me on top is consulting and public speaking, actually, which I really love that for that. And of course, it's just ad work hasn't been the same this year, I think, with the recession. But the issue comes about the fact of like, you know, why is it that someone would, um, you know, talk about racial justice, but then work with Walmart that does slave labor? Mm-hmm. And these are, those are some of the conversations that come up. And I think with influencers, they have this very, or digital creators, they have this very unique complexity of like, you're trying to sustain your career that is reliant on the same parasitic system. But that's not to say that those that also work for nine to five jobs are working at ethical companies either. As an environmentalist, I do try my best to work with businesses that are small owned. They don't have the large budgets. Mm -hmm. And if they do, it's very rare. And I I think, you know, on my end, um, if I'm able to take that money from large corporations, sometimes that are aligned, whether that's public speaking versus promoting their product and donate it back to those communities that are in the front line, their mutual aid orgs, at, at the end of the day, my community needs money. Yeah. My parents need their rent paid yeah. for. Yep. No one's going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I I'm not, and I, I think it's really hard when people are like, you're a sellout. And it's like, it, it's easy for us to point fingers. And I think I find it very hard within dominant influencer culture that they're not focused on justice-oriented issues, but they're aware of them. They support them. But it's like, they don't get that same type of slack. And then it goes back to this idea of like, even if I'm called an influencer, like a hundred thousand plus is nothing now <laughs> compared to five hundred thousand or a million now on TikTok or on Instagram. Like I'm a micro influencer compared to them. And it's a reflection of our society of like what we're really valuing. And you know, I, I'm not saying they're the issue either. It's just to say that I don't I don't think those systems and those luxurious lifestyles are going to be very appealable in the upcoming years, especially because culture is changing. Or maybe younger generations are just going to be like, we don't really like that. This is irrelevant. This is boring. Our planet's dying. People are dying. We don't have any money. Like, what are we going to do next? Are people going to run to a celebrity's home? No, we were going to run to their neighbor to survive. So I, I think it's about reorienting that and recognizing that it's a very nuanced subject at the end of the day. I don't know why an influencer would take an ad for this. I would, I could say I disagree internally, but at the end of the day, I don't know their life. And it's really hard for me to say not to judge because I do judge sometimes because I'm like, well, you gave me slack for this and I'm not going to give you slack for that. But 
understanding those complexities of like black and indigenous creators don't get paid the same compared to white influencers. At the end of the day, white influencers take up a lot of space and get a lot paid more in this industry. So to bag on a black or brown person of color is kind of messed up in my view um, if you're not focusing that attention on white people. And a lot of the times white people do criticize my ads. It could be the most ethical small owned company and they'll be like, why are you working with corporations? It's like, well, are you paying my bills? Can you provide funding opportunities to do my work? And then there's radio silence because no one knows. I don't know. Foundations don't care about that work I do. I get it. They want to focus on climate solutions that are scalable or profitable for them. I'm just a digital media creator that's an artist that wants to create art. And for them, investing money into me is not profitable. They're just like, no. And I get that. It's just business. That's how capitalism works. But I need to make my own happiness and my own art too. Not saying that dissolves me from accountability, but that means that the ways that we give each other grace should be given. Yes. Oh my goodness. And you know, it is the most nuanced, complex approach, but you mentioned it so beautifully, which is like, who's going to pay my bills, right? Who's going to be able to, you know, it's, it's okay. So like this, I've, I've had so many thoughts about this as well, like for myself. And I like to think about that, you know, that issue like this, which is like, when it comes to impact, when it comes to community impact, like, it really is a matter of like, you know, what's going to help change a person's life, what's going to help someone that's viewing our content make a decision that they wouldn't have made maybe two years ago, right? That's for the greater good of all, right? And I've come to really have like, try to separate myself from like people who have 500,000 followers, because you're right, like, compared to years ago, we are now micro influencers, because the industry is growing in a way that is like, it's kind of scary to me, but it's true. It's like, it's like, I always just think if I could just change one person's life and change one per the way that one person makes decisions for the greater good of all, like I'm good, like peace, peace the F out because, um, because we live in this industry where it's all about numbers and quantifying our impact. And I really, really don't like that. Um, it's toxic. It's toxic. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, as influencers, like, um, just going to give this like really quick spiel, like as people, creators who make ads, right. It's like, it really, sometimes it makes me anxious because it's about the likes or it's about like my engagement. How much did that ad like get, you know, what was the engagement for that ad? And it, I have to reel it back a lot of the time to be like, okay, that paid my bills that did the thing. But like, Let's move on to the content that I'm really here to do. Um, and thank you to yes. that company for helping t- to support my like living. But you're a part, but not the whole picture. Um, yes. Yeah. It's Exactly. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so horrible to see that people are like, oh, you're a sellout. Bye. I'm not. And it's like, well, all my years of work has been free on this platform. I've never charged anyone. When everyone asks me if they can donate money, I say donate money to indigenous-led groups, please. That's all I ask. So don't tell me I'm taking money when the mega multinational corporations over here profiting millions of dollars and I'm seen as the issue. That is that is where it's like, yes, I'm a part of the system that is part of the issue. I'll admit that. I uphold global capital structures. <laughs> but... I don't know any single being that exists outside of capitalism either. Yep. 
Oh, this is so, so good. Okay. This is my last question to you, which is for people who just want to get started, right? And I'm my, when I'm thinking about people, I'm thinking about the nine to five girly who like lives in New York City right now and is like looking outside her window and she's like, oh my God, the sky is orange. How do I get involved? I don't know anything about climate justice. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what any of that means, but like, this is fucked up. Where can they start? Yeah, I mean, I think the most powerful thing to start is recognizing your heritage and learning about your heritage. That costs zero dollars. If you have siblings or your parents or you're still in contact with parents or your racial identity, learn figuring out the history of that. Because I think for a lot of people, it's like, I'm not expecting you to use the terminologies. You know, in, indigenous communities have always said it's not about terminology. It's about the embodiment of who you are. And so I think, you know, like this academic white supremacist type of ideology too of like, I don't feel the, the, you know, you, Kim, have said it and other celebrities and other influencers always tell me this. I feel like I don't have the right language, so I don't talk about it. And it's like, that makes me so sad because it's like they are experts and it's already like you are an environmentalist. There's no such thing. You don't need a degree to call yourself that or any academic experience. I like went through it thinking that I needed to do it. And it's like, for what? To be told how to make money off the environment? Oh, great. That was a major. I I think realizing your heritage and to start to become more curious and ask questions. I think a lot of people are not sometimes asking the right questions. More people are afraid to get it wrong. And I think part of, you know, it's funny because I don't really use decolonization in my work. I I, I appreciate it. I read about it and I I love it. I don't really talk about decolonization because I don't know what that means for me as someone who is also non-Indigenous, but also like has this very weird relationship with my identity and place-based relationship is that it's about unlearning and relearning. And obviously decolonization has values of unlearning, which I never really... um, knew that much I just always said well I'm just unlearning my friends like that's decolonizing I'm like "Eh," to a certain extent like if you unlearn but then if you don't practice that unlearning then what are you doing so I think unlearning and asking good questions and it's okay to be wrong then right um, will help you I do think that when we were in college I use this like kind of typical framework of like college activists it's like everyone wants to be right use the right terminology shut down one another and it's like is that really how you treat your siblings no, or our family. I, I, when I messed up in life, I got told off, but then I got told I still love you and here's how you learn. What we do now to young people is that we try to cancel each other. Yeah. Ooh, so good. It's like, it's like no wonder people are afraid to speak back when it comes to asking questions. Yeah. But they're like, will I be exiled from the from the commune? And it's like, it's like that though. And it's yeah. like, for me, I'm not afraid to say I've messed up and I'm going to continue messing up. Mm-hmm. And I have pulled all these oppressive and racial oppressive structures and microaggressions that I'm still learning about myself mm-hmm. um, and stereotypes that I'm harmful stereotypes that I'm unlearning. It's like, if we're not okay to say that, I don't know who's perfect because I've never met anyone who's perfect. Oh, mic drop. And that is, you know, it's that's the human embodiment. Like that's the human journey that we're on, right? Like none of us are perfect. Um, you know, even like, you know, people who look, I, I never, I, I, I don't use the word hate often, but like one of the things I like actually really hate 
is when people put other people on pedestals. Like, I just don't like that, including like even you or myself, like if anyone's listening to this and, you know, you look up to us and I'm saying this with air quotes, like take us off the damn pedestal because we are just learning just like you. Right. And um, that's and it's like when I think about when my perspective of like, you know, how are we going to help and heal and like um, deconstruct all of these systemic toxic patterns right that are really like pushed forth by like the patriarchy and all of that when I think about healing I think about just like understanding and forgiving and we can't do that if we're busy pointing fingers at our at each other and not at the oppressive systems it's like it's like a it's like why are we pointing yeah. fingers at each other right um yeah. it's oh this is such a good such a good conversation um I just want to thank you so, so much, Isaiah, for taking the time to anyone listening to this. I'm just going to give you like a two second spiel. I asked Isaiah to come on yesterday and we're recording today. And Isaiah said, OK, <laughs> bet. And Isaiah thought that we were going to record in person. And he was like, let me dr I'll drive to your house. I'll be really fast. And I'm like, no, Isaiah, you didn't have to drive to my house. We'll do it virtually. But <laughs> but just like. We did it. <laughs> the willingness to like just come and like do the damn thing in like 12 hour notice. I was like, wow, you're a fucking real one. So thank you. Always, so always available via text. Always <laughs> there for my friends. Um, I'll be there. <laughs> oh my goodness. But okay. My last, last question is where can people find you and what are you up to? You can find me at Queer Brown Vegan. And I'm writing my, I'm finishing my, I'm re-editing my book proposal. One of the chapters needs to be fixed. And I'm resubmitting re it to publishers this fall to see if I get a book offer, uh, which I will for sure get it now. But it, it's just been a very tedious process. It's taken me like three years to finally, like hopefully get an offer. And then, yeah, just working on independent media projects and looking for funders to fund series. <gasps> Wow. Well, I can't wait till your book comes out and hopefully we'll have another discussion like this when it, when it is. Um, everyone, please, please follow Queer Brown Vegan. Um, um, just on a personal note, I love fo following environmentalists. I love following all, the, all of the work that you all do. But Queer Brown Vegan is the work that I personally, like your work, I turn to the most. Um, because it provides me so much hope. So thank you for the work that you do. <laughs> thank you.